everyone. I'm your host, Christina Lee Mitri, and welcome to Smart Living Hawaii's podcast, where we discuss smart homes and technology, sustainability, healthy lifestyles, and smart business. Today, we will discuss and continue our Sustainable Leaders series and have a talk story with Daniel Anthony. He is a local sustainable Hawaiian farmer and a charismatic entrepreneur that will take this podcast on a roller coaster of topics pertaining to his everyday life as a family man, taro farmer, fisherman, poi pounder, activist, teacher, philanthropist, and more. So before we begin, aloha, Daniel. Good morning. Aloha. Thanks for having me here. Thank you so much for joining us. And I want to do a little quick shout out about him and his, um, his bio. So Daniel is a multi-generational community organizer who is the founder and partner of Mana Ai, and he's also the executive director of Hui Aloha Aina Mumona. He also has his new venture, Aloha Organic, where he sells products that help grow healthier natural food and crops. Um, he has a supportive wife and six keiki who all play an active role in his life and businesses. And he crosses paths with many throughout his ventures. And today we will explore a little bit more. I have no idea where this podcast is taking us, but stay tuned. Here we go. So let's start. Let's go. Let's start with your background. Let's growing up. Let's hear that. Certainly. Well, I'm born and raised in Waianae, born in the Queens Hospital, raised out in Lualuale Valley in Waianae. Um, like many in our community, you could consider me an at-risk youth. Um, my uh, home life was surrounded by farmers and fishermen. Uh, my grandfather on my father's side is Dr. Fred Dodge, and he is the very first uh, full-time resident physician on the Waianae Coast. So part of my life, I grew up in the hospital, hanging around my grandfather, and part of my life, uh, fishing and farming. So I've always had great role models, um, but not until my older years that I actually was I a good person, you know? I was a kind of one of those, I gave my dad a lot of gray hairs, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I do. So what actually led you into I guess, less gray hairs for your father. <laughs> um, you know, the reality is when I was 18 years old, um, I almost committed suicide. And uh, it really, it was my Japanese grandma that loved me unconditionally. And I could not imagine someone telling her that her oldest grandson wasn't around anymore. And at that moment, I decided that if I was going to live, I was going to do something with my life. And uh, since then, I, you know, I haven't found the top, but I've been reaching for it since then. It hasn't been perfect. I've had my ups and downs, but my focus and my drive uh, has been pretty relentless. Uh, since my young 20s, um, I, as in my bio, I'm multi-generational. So I, I grew up um, in the community. I've seen so many of our frontline issues from the front of the front line. I spent a huge amount of time at the Capitol. Uh, this is my childhood going to protest, but also in a family that is a family of doers. Now, my family will have an argument, we'll talk about stuff, and then go out there and change the world for the better. That's awesome. So, 
let's talk about your wife and kiddos. So you have six. What are the age ranges? So I have uh, my, my first wife is a lovely woman. One of the greatest graces in my life is I have the world's best ex-wife. <laughs> it's so amazing. Um, she and I have really been focused as to our investment in creating incredible human beings. Uh, my my ex-wife is a songwriter, a sailor, a musician, a chanter, educator. And uh, together, we're co-parenting 12, uh, 14, 12, 10-year-old daughters. Wow. Uh, Teenage my, women. My Fun. oldest daughter just got into Kamehameha schools. Oh, good. Congratulations. Um, and her two siblings are at uh, SM Kamakau, which is a Hawaiian language immersion school. Uh, and then with my current wife, she's also an educator uh, and a farmer. I actually grew up in this area. Her, her father's house is right up the street here. Um, but from Simple Roots, she comes. And uh, we have three children, five, four, and two. Wow. And um, I'm in a place in life where I love being at home. Yeah. And that's a lot of kiddos. <laughs> I have two. And I'm like, how are we going to make this happen if I have a third? <laughs> Go for more, girl. Okay, don't be shy. You already have two. You have well, two future babysitters. Well, maybe if I was farming and then they could start working on the farm, that would be. I don't know if they could really help me so much with everything I do and work. Hey, they're cute. They'd be closing deals. I, I believe it. Okay, so let's jump in since there's so much to talk about because you have and do so much different things. Um, let's jump into the sustainable world. Okay. And obviously that's kind of our thing. And what is it that you do? And I guess the why. I always like to um, find out why or what has brought you to this green space or sustainable world that that you are um, having your businesses and nonprofits in. Well, let's just say that the search for sustainability is not an easy one. Yeah, the models out there are mostly based off of nonprofit or subsidized models, which um, is why we started a nonprofit. Which is we, not sustainable. <laughs> we realized how hard it was to be able to do this major investments um, into creating awareness. Yeah, ideally, you know, sustainability is a marketing campaign to get people to want to improve their own situations for their own good, but not just their own good, the community good, the environmental good. You know, there's so many different perspectives on good. So for myself, I really became uh, acutely active 14 years ago when I had my first child. Uh, prior to that, I was actually um, working probably, I probably worked with you. You probably sold many of the houses that I did. I worked for Bella Pietra for 10 years. I opened that company, my aunt and uncle. Um, graced me with the opportunity to have, uh, you know, no degree yet to be one of the top sales guys in their company. I service architects, designers across the Pacific uh, into California. I traveled to Turkey, Peru. I've gone to the quarry, cut blocks out of the mountain, saw it cut up into slabs. And ultimately, um, at the age of 28, making $150,000 a year, totally legal, working 30 hours a week, slaying it. Um, my infant daughter one day just looked right into my soul and literally spoke to me. Um, I, I could feel her. She was like, Dad, I'll, I'll never do what you say. I will only do what you do. And that was um, 
such a pivotal moment in my existence because I did not feel like where I was at in life is somewhere that I wanted to pass on to my children. And although I was successful in the forms of acquiring capital, there were so many other parts of me that were that were crying, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, I started to reestablish and revalue that and, and look at what was my treasure. Yeah. And so with the help of my ex-wife, who was an educator, I, I transitioned from, you know, traveling and selling and working with all these architects and designers um, to home based business. First primary business, take care of the babies. And, um, you know, I've been I am the point maker in my family for my generation. And I'm lucky to learn how to make poi from my father. And I've made poi with my grandfather. And um, that that part of my my life has always been there. It's, it's almost been like a crutch for me, like a cradle, something literally land to, to go back to in your memory to kind of inspire you on what you know is good. And um, 14 years ago, I, I just took the plunge and decided that I, I had to start living different. Um, and I was heading in that direction, but when I say I took the plunge, I mean, not many of us are willing to, to not have a job from a great job Yeah. to like just walk away from it. And I think it's actually the story of our generation. Well, you did this at 28 and I would say most people are, they go through their whole careers and then at 48, they think about it and then maybe 38, they think about it. Then 48 they're like, oh my gosh, my kids are so old. I I I missed that boat. And then by 58, they're already kidding on retiring, right? right? Yeah. And then they're like, okay, well, I'm gonna make a difference for yeah, your grandchildren. So I mean, you're definitely ahead of the curve. <laughs> you were 28 I, I, when you decided to make the change. And of course, there there's gonna have to be people that do that other jobs and stuff. They're not all gonna be able to be you and do what you do so i mean it's Which, just lucky me right yeah. there's actually a job in the world for me from birth <laughs> yeah um, and i think that's the case for everybody i mean everybody's got their passions and and their talents and it's finding that and hopefully you find it earlier in life than 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 later right and so anyhow diving into more of your passions and your talents um you mentioned Poi pounding and um, let's go into tarot. Let's let's do that now since you kind of jumped into that um, segue. Um, let's talk about tarot, kalo, poi, poi, lao laos that you guys do. Um, you know, just everything around that concept. I know most people know everything about this that are listening, but some are maybe not even from Hawaii. And the most they wow. know about poi. Is we're, that we're gonna purple shake stuff. Up all the guys that know about this, we're going to shake them up for just a minute. Awesome. Because, um, you know, I'm actually a part of a, of, a, of a story that goes back generations upon generations. You know, the, the very first relationship with Hawaiians and Kalo is that the taro plant is the older brother. Yeah, and the two gods consumed, came together and had a child and it was stillborn. And from there grew the very first taro plant. And the next child that they had was the first Hawaiian. And through that relationship, um, we are here in this place called Hawaii. And part of, of um, knowing who you are is where you came from. 
and understanding that from a, not a fantasy storytelling perspective, but how it actually links into your life. And what is the science behind behind our stories? And so one day I was pounding tarot actually for six months. Every day that I pounded tarot, I asked myself the same question in my meditation with the tarot. Please explain the story to me because it's a very awkward story. You know, Papa, Sky Father, and <clears throat> Papa, Earth Mother, and Wakia Sky Father, their first child is a child, Ho'ohoku Kalani. And Sky Father ends up having a child with his child, which is stillborn. And they bury it and becomes the first Tyro Hawaiian. And then they have another child, and that child becomes the very first Hawaiian. And how in this genealogy, right, this is in the Kumulipo, which is this chant, this creation chant of the Hawaiian people. And it has this, and how does this make sense? And so, you know, and not rationaling it and trying to understand the importance of poi. Right, so I, I was pounding tarot and almost like a vision, it came to me, I saw this story. And Papa Wakea are the Hawaiian Romeo and Juliet. Right, they're two lovers on an island. And when you're on an island, where's the one place that you go where no one can see you? Mountains? No. The horizon. Oh. <laughs> you go on the canoe and you go far away. And so one day they were frolicking and they got caught into a storm and swept out to sea. And at the time, the navigating of the stars was not something that they did. And so when the storm cleared, it was night and Earth Mother was crying, crying. And she begins to sing a song that her grandmother taught her about the stars above her home. Wakea Sky Father hears this song and realizes that if they sail in a certain direction, that the stars would line up to Papa's song. And that's how they made it home. You see, Hawaiians look at birthing in many different forms. And one of the things that you can birth is an idea. Yeah, so navigating by the stars, which hopefully I just traveled around the island, was the child of Papa and Wakea. Ho'ohoku Kalani literally means to make a star in the heaven. Through this love of navigating by the stars, it was simple science. Yeah, you sail and you use the stars to go out and then you know how to get home. And eventually he sailed to a point where he could go no further because he ran out of food. Simply in the practice, he began to make his food smaller and smaller. I want you to imagine, right? Originally, he would, he would just take what he could. But at some point, when you're running out of food, you start repackaging your food smaller and tighter so you can package more food. And there he pounded the tarot and created, right? This, this technological advancement in food preservation. He figured out how to make the tarot into this form of poi and pa'i'ai that did not require refrigeration. And ultimately, after this breakthrough, the next thing that happens, the first child, which is the Hawaiian child, was a Hawaiian child born because they made it to Hawaii because they've been able to use their relationship with the stars and the mastery of food science and food preservation to actually make a food and build a path across the ocean to the most isolated place on planet Earth. Now here we have this recipe for poi, right? And mis many people are so um, misunderstood, right? Kimchi, if I just gave you some cabbage and called it kimchi, if I cut it up and gave it to you and called it kimchi, what would you tell me? Would you be like, oh man, this guy knows kimchi. <laughs> no. Right? Kimchi is a reference to fermented cabbage. 
and you can misferment it. Now, if you take cabbage and you prepare it and you eat it like kimchi, but it's not fermented, yeah, it's called coleslaw. It's a total different recipe, right? Poi is a fermented food. If you're not eating it fermented, I hate to tell you this, what you're eating is ground taro. Yeah, and the recipe for kimchi and the recipe for coleslaw both use cabbage. But we can both agree that they're not the same. What our ancestors would do, right, is they would prepare the taro and pound it into a thick paste called pa'i. In this form, it stores incredibly well without refrigeration. Lasting like how long? Weeks, months, or years. Wow. Right, and what you would do is you would it would begin to dry out. You would wrap it in tea leaf and put it in a cool, dark space, and there it would dry out. Before you would eat it, you would recook it. You would re-emu it. And in that, a chemical reaction occurs, and it actually freshens it. They would take the heated in the emu pa'i, put it back on the board, and pound it, and mix it into poi. Of which they would take that and fill a calabash. And this was a very important calabash, right? People understand sourdough starter, right? You feed the starter. And as long as you feed your sourdough starter, it can last forever. The calabash, the term of the calabash for the poi is called the umeke umau. It means to stand in perpetuity. Yeah, and this bowl never emptied. When the Hawaiians took the lid off the bowl and said that their ancestors were in there, it was because their ancestors had eaten with their fingers out of this fermented bowl for countless generations. Mm. Can you imagine the probiotics when Captain Cook came and it'd been 1,500 years of the bowl never being empty? Mm -hmm. And people go, oh my God, Daniel, you and your microbes. Well, <laughs> um, the calabash in my home has not been emptied or washed in 10 years. And without a doubt, I know that is this, the greatest treasure that I have. Right, you go around. Well, who's who's got a fermented bowl of poi ten years old? <laughs> mm, might be one of the few, if one of the only guys that has made it important in my existence, in my family's existence, to not let it go. To put this back into practice. Yeah, this is actually how we connect to the aina. Yeah, this connection. It's so funny. We have like, oh, go clean up the beach, go do this for your connection, but we never ever think of open your mouth and chew. That's actually how you really connect. You actually put it in you. And because you notice, you know, your iPhone, if you never plug it in, how good is it? Yeah, the connection, the absolute connection that our community is missing when it comes to sustainability is actually putting it in your mouth every single day. And 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 as you mentioned earlier in, in our in our discussion, you talked about how energy is is one of the big topics in sustainability. But we actually don't understand or identify that the first energy is the energy that we put in our bodies. If you don't have the energy to flick the light switch, does it even matter if there's electricity in your house? Of course not. So, you know, for me, um, poi is at the core of our family's existence. It's the actual connection that we have to the land. I can show you my connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my connection feeds my kids, it feeds my wife, it feeds all the visitors that come to us. It's a connection that is an ancient connection and it's a connection that also ties us into the future. Right? Part of raising my kids, I actually have kids 
that are younger than my foible. That's right. Yeah, and so that kind of is, is the basis of, of our relationship with Kahlo, is eating it as our main staple. Uh, I, I went racist um, about 10 years ago. Um, and it's funny because um, I'm part Japanese, <laughs> and um, my Japanese ancestry, I'm a Tanaka, which literally means rice farmer. <laughs> um, but as I got educated about rice, I found out that there's 30 grades of rice. So I asked all my Musubi proud sparing family, you know, what grade is cow rose rice? Oh, it's not good. <laughs> Nutrition-wise. Cow rose rice isn't even allowed in the country. It's not even the lowest grade. The lowest grade of rice in Japan is the lowest grade. Cow rose is not even on that. So our main staple food that we are so proud of today does not provide nearly the type of energy that our traditional foods have and when we look at that energy why do we need it it's not just to feel good it's it's to fight diseases yeah in this day and age in this covid day and age you know if you were obese if you were old if you were you know if all of a sudden all the people in the at-risk eating diet all of a sudden became a greater target than the healthy eating well microbiome awareness like i felt for my family in this whole covid thing that like Come, brother, we scrap. You know, I, not that I want it, but if I'm gonna catch it, man, I'm gonna give it the, my best cracks that I can. <laughs> and I know that a part of that is ensuring that I have a healthy relationship with my land. Yeah, that's where all the beneficial microbes come from. So it's not just eating from it. The next step is actually being it and planting it, and consciously using that as a part of a strategy to keep my family healthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's what Kahlo provides. Kahlo provides the ability to have good food, but the activity of growing Kahlo provides another form of protection for us and our family. And that protection also protects the environment, right? Because we're using the resources in our farming in a way that can go generation after generation after generation, which is what we want. And we're not needing outside factors or other things to keep sustainably moving forward yeah with hope sustainability should be an internally driven mechanism that comes from within and goes out and comes back right and that completes a full circle um so without you know there's basically we could talk more about the poi poi was actually traditionally made poi was illegal from 1911 to 2011 and this yeah let's talk about this i don't know how many people know about this but let's let's dive into this well, guys, check this out. In 1911, there was a cholera outbreak in Honolulu, and it was traced back to the poi. Once they traced it back to the poi, there was a prohibition, and every poi shop on the island was shut down, systematically shut down, a poi prohibition. The Department of Health. In 1911, we're talking Department of Health, same Department of Health of 2020, um, actually was able to find the source of the cholera outbreak. It was farmers in Manoa using water from the duck pond to mix their water. Upon solving the problem, they reopened poi shops, but they created regulations where you must have a cement floor and pipe water to have a legal poi shop. So traditional pounding on the island of Oahu became outlawed in 1911. So just Oahu? Well, like all good things, they sort of, you know, 
there's that story, right, of the hedgehog and the camel, and the camel's in the tent, and it's cold outside, and the hedgehog goes, please, just let me put my pinky in, and then let me put my arm in, and then pretty soon the camel's on the outside, and the hedgehog's on the inside, right? This is kind of the same situation. What happened was, yeah, it started on this island, and then systematically, that policy was Became implemented practice. on every island. So in uh, 2009, I had, um, was kind of my awakening year to do whatever, pretty much quit my job at Bella Pietra. Mm -hmm. And um, I, uh, I had the opportunity to pursue whatever I wanted to pursue. And I started the year in 2009 by taking a course with Antipua Kanaka Ole, Papaku Makavalu, and I, and I took this course as uh, as a practitioner. And I didn't know I was a practitioner in 2009. Okay, I, that, that's just what you do. You, you farm taro, you eat fish, you make lao lao, you build family and community. That's, that's, if everybody do that, we're good, right? Um, I went to this workshop, and this workshop, uh, Antipua talked about to truly be a practitioner, you must challenge yourself in your practice. Yeah, and so that really helped me to be ultra aware of my practice. And in 2009, at this, in January of 2009, at this thing, Antipo goes, okay, Daniel, what is your practice? And, and how are you going to challenge yourself? So I said, well, my practice is Kuiai and Malamahaloa, which is pounding taro and taking care of kalo. And I said, my challenge myself this year, I'm going to pound 10,000 pounds of kalo. Now, I've never said this on the air, but the whole room was full of famous Hawaiians and some of them laughed. And um, that was actually a part of my fuel. I went home and every single day I cooked 50 pounds of kalo and I cleaned it, I pounded it. And by September of 2009, I had been to every, everything that could possibly want somebody to come and pound kalo. I had done it and I decided to start a business. In September of 2009, we started Mana Ai. And mana'ai is a little calabash that you would make from the crotch of the tree that your ancestor planted the baby's afterbirth. So like your grandma's afterbirth would be planted under a tree. And when it would grow, when you would be born, they would You mean like the, the placenta, like yeah, legitimately the placenta. from yeah. the mom. So, so the afterbirth, so grandma, your grandma is born two generations. Her mother would plant a tree on the afterbirth, the placenta. That tree grows up, you are born, the tree is cut down, they make a little calabash from where the tree splits. And as a baby, so that your microbes have a chance to, to be inoculated by the family, only you eat out of this little bowl. And so for me, Mana I represented that little bowl for the community. For the first time, there was this opportunity to start to eat it as the way our ancestors eat it and like babies i we had to literally spoon feed the community well like all awesome things it's that awesome the government doesn't like it and by october no joke this is what happened i did the ward farmer's in market one one month <laughs> in one month in one month i was on the front page of the newspaper and the following week the department of health was searching for me <laughs> And so they told me that they didn't care if I was making it for my grandma, that the Department of Health regulates the sale and distribution of all food. And if they had found out that I was giving people poi from my board to them, that they would give me a $1,000 fine for interaction. Now, 
I mean, we've already had in the few moments of our conversation, you can tell that, you know, convincing me not to do something I believe in, you know, there's probably a lot of easier things out there. Um, so we, we actually found a loophole. And when I say I found a loophole, I didn't find any loophole. My dad had been doing this tarot clowning education for, he did it for 15 years before he even did this. I come from a community that pounds tarot. I know you're not going to die because my aunties and my grandma and my whole family would be dead, you know? Um, and, and one of the things that we had, uh, garnished in the publicity of being on the front page and then the department of health looking for you, um, you've been to town restaurant. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. So Ed Kenny from town restaurant, sorry, Ed, I'm getting you busted is the most famous chef in Hawaii when it comes to poi and, and taro in my eyes. Everybody looks at me as being like the conspirator to legalize it. But what happened was Ed Kenny came to me and he said, Daniel, this is such an amazing product. I want to put this on my menu. And throughout 2010, so 2009, they said no. Throughout 2010, there was actually a black market PAI distribution ring that I was the head of. Okay, this is like positive Mike Minsky kind stuff, right? We're like working in the black market to feed the community, hand pounded, you know, worrying about the law getting us. Well, no joke. In 2010, we did a tarot festival in November. And somehow in the article, it said you could go to town restaurant and have hand pounded PAI. The next week, the Department of Health raided town restaurant and made them throw away 20 pounds of pa'iai, and that made the front page. That caused the community to have this discussion and, um, you know, bless their hearts. For once, OHA organized a community meeting so that they could have a position on it. And at that community meeting, there was about 25 of us. At the end of the meeting, a super famous kupuna by the name of Earl Kavaha stood up and said, okay, Oha, Oha, what are you going to do about this? And the guy from Oha, like his face turned pale and he's like, oh, oh, I came here to hear you guys out. I can't do anything. And Uncle Earl amazingly turned his back to that guy and put his arms out to the rest of the crew and said, okay, Gangi, what are we going to do about it? And in um, December of 2010, we started the Legalized PAEI Committee and we got together every week um, until May. And we successfully in one legislative year introduced legislation that in hindsight, actually preserved, protected, and empowered our culture. Because in 2014, the Department of Health updated their entire food code. And if we had not interjected and introduced our legislation that was actually included in that 2014 food code change, the future of poi making would have forever been silenced in the change of that code. Today, the traditional hand pounder is the only legal food maker that can touch, cook food with bare hands in America. I want you to think about that. So you could just die today and feel good. I'm just kidding. 
you know what? I I could have died yesterday. I could have died yesterday and known that I that I made my my crack at it. You know, um, the reality is this: we're in 2021. You know, I bet you you went outside at least once or twice in the last year. You're like, man, where's all the natives? Like, you know, I live in Hawaii. I don't see zero. This place looks like freaking California. You know, what makes us Hawaii, you know, is a part of the sustainable living practice connected to this culture, to this history that is not fake. I don't have to make anything up. I just got to redo, repeat what the ancestors did, right? Um, so in addition to the 2011 legislation, I also introduced legislation that uh, legalized traditional Hawaiian architecture and building materials. Um, so that we could actually fight against the homeless issue using sustainable products. Imagine transitional homes being made from products that people could gather, just like our ancestors. And you think about it. Would you so rather how did be... that go? I passed it. It's so in law. who's doing it? Well, I'll be honest. I'm hanging out with all the conspirators. There's a gentleman by the name of Francis Sinensi, who is, uh, and you're going to laugh, Uncle, I'm totally riding you out here. I love you so much, Uncle Francis. Um, he is the number one illegal developer in Hawaii because he has over 300 traditional hales built with no permits. The problem is that the system, although the law is made, never actually followed the law. The county never followed the law to put into place the permitting for traditional holidays. But we passed the law. So how does it move from there? Believe it or not, this is I how guess. crazy it was. So we passed the law. I went to the city. I was like, yo, I want to fill an application for build my holiday. Oh. Right? Because you know me. I like doing it. He looked at me. Huh? I don't know what you're talking about, sir. He's like, sorry, sir, but I can't find anything on this. So I went and I brought the legislation. I said, bro, right here. We just passed it. He goes, oh, great. Guess what, sir? There's no date in this legislation that forces the county to do, to do it. So, I mean. So, guess what yeah. I did? So, what? I went back to the ledge the following year. And I said, remember that bill that we passed last year? Like, yeah, high five. I was like, no, no, no. No five. No five. <laughs> I can't believe you guys didn't set me up, you politicians. You guys made me feel good like I did something. And then you never gave me a freaking date that the something was going to start on. So I introduced another law that gave the city one year. And then what? And the city still never gone. That's why Uncle Building Hall is everywhere. Because by law, you're supposed to be able to have the permit. This is where, right, people talk about, oh, we got to be so, sustainable. So, I mean, I, I, it's the same situation for the energy code, right? I mean, there's uh, everything that passed. It's like the, every county has a certain amount of time. Actually, I don't even know if they were actually scheduled at a certain time. But okay. then the state said, okay, by this time, the county has to adopt it. And if and they, they don't do it. adopt it, it's still pending, but nothing seems to happen. <laughs> you know the reality is right this is where this is where you can tell lawyers devise this system yeah because in order to fight that what you got to do is you got to just do them and get one violation and then go to court and fight your violation in court and then the court system says bruh how can this guy be violating if here's the law that you guys never practice but in order for do that you got to have five hundred thousand dollar retainer for the attorney 
right? Right. And if you want poor person, making holidays, right? If you want poor person, if you want poor person, you go find the attorney that wants to work for poor people, right? In a state where one time that you do something good for poor people, you think the rich clients gonna hire you? Like for real, right? This is where this is where I can tell you I've experienced the negative side of truly being sustainable. Yeah, this is the, this is another part that I never talked about. Yeah, piece of oh, Dan, you're you're a community, you're a warrior for food, you're a warrior for eating local. What happens when you stand up for eating local? You know who don't like you? The four billion dollars of imported food people, the Matson people, right? The Young Brothers people. When you start talking about guys, let us grow our economy of food. Here is all the distribution companies of food. Now, when you look at who they're connected to, these guys is connected to everybody. So inadvertently, while fighting you built to make us more sustainable, I began to see why people don't fight for it. Mm -hmm. Because we live in a community that is built on unsustainability. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Our dependency on imports is the ultimate definition of corporate sustainability. It's true. That's what it is. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually here today because what we have figured out, right, is the way to engage this and, and actually being in the game is you got to create an economy, right? So, yeah, I have a nonprofit and people can make donations to the nonprofit. And, yes, I have a cultural business that makes a product that you can buy anywhere. We ship PAI out worldwide, manaai.com. But now we also have a fertilizer company that actually is a solution, right? Like this, literally a solution. A literal solution, Six right? No. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and, and what this is, is this is us taking our frustration and manifesting it in a way that in 2020, people can engage and support it and be a part of the solution, right? And I mean, the thing that we... we you know, it's hard to talk about, it's hard to talk about chemicals and agriculture, right? It, it, there, there, there's just so many. Um, did you, I, I already asked um, Chance this, but did you watch the um, the Netflix Kiss the Ground yet? I saw, I, I saw the, um, the trailer for it, right? It's pretty interesting. What I, what I. Um, Not quite like. I guess like it's all it's it's on food crops and stuff in the mainland so it's not technically everything here but what I find it I don't want to say frustrating is um I've yet to really I mean Paul Stamos is probably really like the guy that I learned the most from from watching but most of what everybody talking about is shit we're already doing we're like we're really doing them we're putting it into use you know uh I mean I actually have like no, that's what I'm saying. You guys are ahead of the curve, right? And you are, and the products that you're, how about we dive into Aloha yes, Organic? Perfect. Because I think it's the next step and it's a product line that can be used all over and it could be shipped everywhere. Can you know, be used yeah. in big agriculture, small agriculture, um, people that, you know, if you are what you eat, then you are what you feed your plants. And if you're not willing to give your kids the fertilizer or the herbicide directly, why would you give it to them indirectly 
through what they're eating. Exactly. So um, all of our fertilizers are fundamentally based on the practices of Korean natural farming. I got to give well, major props to Dr. Cho. Dr. Cho in the 60s recognized uh, the futility of, of commercial chemical agriculture in Korea. So what he did was he documented the practice, their ancestral practices, and then did the science to reinforce these practices. So things that are simply, you know, look, one of the things that we have here is this grow. It's a fermented plant juice. And this one we actually make from ripe breadfruit. So just to, um, so you guys know, he has a line of six different, I would say, solutions yep. that are liquid solutions that come in little bottles and they all have a different purpose for your plants and to have them naturally like more healthier and they grow much better. Yes. And then you don't have to use any chemicals. Or yeah, any actually don't. Well, I'll take that back. In the truest form, these are chemicals, right? But they're naturally derived. They're right? naturally derived from, from nature in a way that doesn't unnaturalize them. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then it doesn't, it's something that's at, at the end when humans digest it or any animals or whatever it may humans, be. Humans, plants, I mean, you know, this then is. Then we're not going to be, I don't know. This is my tie-in. Popping out kids with ADD and autism or whatever I truly believe stuff it. like that is. <laughs> These days that we hear, right? <laughs> I, I grew up next to a 400-head pig farm uh, in Lua Lua Le. And, uh, um, probably about 70 feet from my bedroom was the sump. And so if you ever go to a pig farm, a, a commercial Western pig farm, it's all on cement and they shoot the whole pig farm down every day. And all the stuff that you shoot down gotta go somewhere. A majority of that is pig poop. So it's actually illegal currently in the United States. If I wanted to dig a hole and put pig poop in the hole from my, um, for my piggery uh, today, that's that's illegal. What what has happened is that all the farmers that were doing it that didn't stop doing it got grandfathered into this practice. Really? Okay. So if you drive remember. by the piggery and it smells terrible, right? Um, that's where I grew up next to. I mean, I literally had days, and this is so embarrassing to say, I had days where I would forget to bring in my laundry and they would cook slop and the black slop would blow through my laundry. And my dad was so sustainable that he'd be like, no, you're not washing your clothes again. So like, I'd have to go to school smelling like freaking like pig slop. Okay. You were that kid. I was that totally like that country kid in class. I was one of them. Okay. <laughs> there was more of us there. I come from my oh, online. Okay. No, 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 no. Um, this is why you have such a spunky personality and very strong. <laughs> you had to defend yourself. I, I, I literally did. Um, <laughs> so a friend of mine, a friend of mine, um, he was just getting into Korean natural farming. And he said, Daniel, two things he said to me that I, that I just called his bluff on. He said, one, that uh, he could make fish guts not stink. And so my dad was a commercial fisherman. It also happened the same time he's telling me this. I every week I was getting a hundred pounds of opelu to do dried opelu, which means I had thirty pounds of fish guts every week. And just what happens on the day this guy is telling me this, I've got thirty pounds of fish guts in a bucket right behind my house, and I'm like, dang, 
I'm like seven weeks into this. Now I have 35 gallons of fish guts. I'm trying to bury it. I'm doing all the stuff that I grew up doing, you know, but it's still like. And now you're smelling still. I'm, I'm still smelling. So the guy tells me, <laughs> he tells me about, oh, I guarantee you can make fish guts not sting. I was like, prove, prove it. I was like, I got fish guts. He was like, you know that look in someone's eye when you just call their bluff and he's like, he's like, you got brown sugar? I was like, yeah. He's like, okay. And you wouldn't believe. 50% brown sugar, 50% super nasty fish guts, mixed up, no smell. No ways. Okay. It's my so brother, powerful. One whole refrigerator is like devoted to my stinky brother's smell. stinky fishes, but I he has the fridge because we eat all his fish. So. Okay, well, this <laughs> I, is, we all, the fish guts, all the fish guts are actually transformed into this fertilizer called feed. And feed gut is 50% fish. 50% brown sugar. What happens is the brown sugar pulls the moisture and feeds the microbes. We then strain out all the solids and bottle it. This is used five, this is used 1000 to one. So this little three ounce bottle makes almost 24 gallons. Yeah, because I was going to wonder, these these little things that, well, I'm going to take some photos and stuff. You're, I'm, you this is a them, gift, this is a gift to you. This is a gift to you. You oh, got to okay. go feed the ulu tree that we donated. Yes. So, you know what I'm saying? Is, okay. We get, we're, you're going to hook it up. <laughs> um, so, so when he made that, what it did was it eliminated, basically what I'm like, a am like a crazy sustainability. Hoarder. Okay. So let me just okay. chime in yes, really please. quick because. The other week we were, you know, going and, and planting a tree that I asked, I had, you know, got from him. It's a ulu tree, a breadfruit tree. And then I'm not a farmer and I don't know how to plant anything, but we were just trying to help a community. So he gave me the tree and then he gave me a whole like long list of what to do. And it included getting fish guts from somewhere. <laughs> to put yeah, it was supposed the to be base for brother, remember? of the plant that I'm like digging this deep hole and I'm supposed to put fish guts in it. And I'm like, and this is tomorrow, right? I'm already yeah, supposed to do this tomorrow. And this is tomorrow. at nighttime. And he's like, so you got to get fish guts if you really want this to work. And I'm like, what? How am I supposed to? I tried to call my brother. He didn't have any. He So that didn't work out. So I hope the plant is still alive because there was no fish, fish guts. But now you have uh, a solution here. Now you're gonna go ahead and feed the ulu tree. You'll I'm be gonna able to feed get him some, some fish. fish. Okay. <laughs> so, so this next one is called Living, and Living is a product that we actually starts off with when I make poi. I have a hand water that I dip my hand in to lubricate the stone, and that water uh, ends up at the end of the day having the starch from the poi ends up getting in. It's kind of a milky color. Now, it just so happens that the microbes on the taro root are the ones that in the cleaning process transfer to the corn that you make the poi with that start the fermentation. These are beneficial microbes. So I take the water that has the starch and the beneficial microbes and I do a 10 to 1 solution with organic milk. And what Just happens, organic milk. Just organic milk, whole milk. And what happens is the lactic acid bacteria in my starch water eats the lactose in the milk so crazy which causes the milk to separate and there's a curd and then there's the water surrounding the curd so i actually take the curd out i could simply put it in a cheesecloth and boil it and make mozzarella 
because I have animals, it's actually a part of my animal diet. I feed the pigs and I feed the chickens. It's incredibly healthy curd. The remaining juice, right? So what happens with microbes is it's kind of like the dominant food feeds the dominant microbe. Hmm. Yeah, so if you have like a whole bunch of zebras and you let out like a monkey, a giraffe, and a lion, <laughs> we know the lion's going to end up doing good in this situation, right? <laughs> so because there's lactose in milk, when we introduce the lactic acid bacteria, they become the dominant microbe. And in the case of lactic acid bacteria, their by byproduct is acidic and it forces other microbes to die or leave. So we then take this um, probiotic-rich water and we use brown sugar to stabilize it, right? If we just left it in the water over a period of days, the microbes would eat everything and then it would ferment and rot. Hmm. When we add the sugar, we add microbe food, which stabilizes it. This particular product is the poi. You can simply feed your plants fish and poi. Get out of town. Okay. Okay, no joke. The key to the Hawaiian diet, fish and poi, the key to the agriculture diet in the beginning, the green. So you when you say this, you are what you eat, they were definitely. They were talking about this. So the taro-based living is used to help break down things. When so I say, this is really only something that you can get from Daniel and his... <laughs> I mean, he literally makes it. I'll be honest. Because he's making poi. <laughs> we, we can, we can, we, there, the education is out there for people to make these solutions themselves. Where we fit the niche is if you don't have a place, you don't make poi and you don't have a place to ferment this stuff, then you can get it for us. If you live in an apartment building and you're growing house plants, but you don't want to have a fermentation station smelling uh, up your yeah, neighbors, or maybe you don't have access to fish guts. Right? right. I mean, there's there's all that's a... what we're going after with Aloha Organics. We're going after all the new farmers, right? All the people in the last so nine months. So have you been talking to up, Go Farm Hawaii? Um, believe it or not, we are going to begin in the next month. We're taking a partnership with CTAR Waimanalo, and we are going to use our Aloha Organic solutions to feed the native Hawaiian taro varieties uh, collection with UH. So this is actually probably our first merge with Grow Farm, Go Farms. I do know this, that there is a natural farming course or realization in Go Farms. All of the farmers that go through these practices, one of the reasons they buy fertilizer is because you can really only do so much in 24 hours. Yeah, and for hardcore farmers hardcore farming is hard enough now to have to make all your ferments is actually a whole nother job and in korea what they actually do is they actually have farms that all those farms do is make fertilizer and they feed all the farms in their community and what happens is you have a central place that makes the nutrients so that it can be tested and everybody can know what they're using and what to depend upon so so you only went through two i only went through two there's four more left. There's four more left. Let's my favorite one. My favorite one. No joke. I tell everybody, do not buy this one. Okay. It's my favorite one. The reason I tell everyone not to buy this one. This is actually seawater solution. So I go to the beach before sunrise and I collect water, salt water from the top one inch of the ocean. What happens is that all the deep sea microbes 
they come up to the surface of the water to catch the rays of sunlight before the rays hit the water. They die from UV. Right, so, so if you imagine on the horizon, as long as the sun rays are going like this, once the sun cracks the horizon and the rays hit the ocean, they flee back down to the dark parts. Salt water has 89 minerals in it, and when you catch it at this early morning time, the amount of microbes are used, right? This is where Malka to Makai comes together. When you actually take the Makai, the ocean, and you use it as food for the Malka. And this is not when it's raining and the water is all muddy. Well, you know, you might get some extra microbes from that. <laughs> um, no, it's not when the when it's rainy and watery. Um, this solution uh, is actually, our, we're, we're noticing that people are interested in this that don't live near water. Where oh. they want to bring... So how long does it last when it's like this? This one lasts almost forever. So the microbes or everything in there are just chilling and... Salt water stable. That's how awesome it is. And it's just like fish. You can go and not catch anything if you go at the wrong time. <laughs> okay. Um, we have a, a, a fruit juice made from ulu. Okay. Which is why I brought it for you because you have an ulu tree and guess what you're going to feed your ulu? Ulu? You're going to feed it kalo. You're going to feed it fish. You're going to feed it ulu. You're going to give it some salt water. It's already near some oh salt water. Oh my gosh. Water. Okay. The last two nutrients, um, we have a calcium. Okay. And um, this one is derived from eggshells. Um, Where from, do you get your eggshells from? From my chickens. Oh, um, okay. Um, and then this last one is called one. And um, this one is, is actually my, my most favorite one. Yeah, um, I'm so terrible. But this particular solution. What yeah. is it? Sorry, that was a part of the lid right there. Oh. Uh-huh. Oh, it smells like vinegar? Uh-huh. It's actually... Oh my gosh, he's drinking it. Ah, it's a vodka tincture. Okay. What is in it? Um, so it's six different Asian spices. I grow the turmeric. I grow the ginger that's used in it. Licorice, cinnamon. Um, oh my God. And there's Tra vodka. And we use vodka to pull out. The Where do you nutrients. think? What vodka do you use? I'm not gonna lie, I purchased vodka from the store. I wish it was Sky Vodka. Um, we're getting better at our vodka. I'm trying to negotiate with Sky right now for some local made vodka. Well, what about the local one that they have here in Hawaii? Yeah, is Sky it, is one of them. Is it Sky? There's another one. There's a, there's a Maui. Uh, and there's some guys that brew down here. Does it have to be vodka? It has to be 80% alcohol. Oh, okay. So well, that's 40 proof. That's 40 proof. So what what do have they have pie? There's actually a lot I've, of companies. I've been calling I've been calling around, but they're all like. What is the pineapple one? A Kalua rum or what about yeah Kalua rum? rum? I called them. You know they're just not. Since COVID, everyone hasn't been really um, able to supply what we need. Uh, so far, I've purchased um, 110 gallons of vodka in the last three months, four months. Um, I, when I'm purchasing vodka, I straight look like an alcoholic. Like I need some help. <laughs> like, oh my God! You got a case of sugar, a, a pallet of sugar, a pallet of vodka, what and a pallet thinking? of milk. What are you doing? <laughs> uh huh. Don't you wish you knew? Um, this one is really important. Um, alcohol is actually made from fermented products. Mm -hmm. We always wonder why nature does that. Can you make alcohol from taro then? Totally, can make it from taro. You can make it from ulu. Yeah. But to make it legally, 
Um, actual, not the uh, what's the so what about group? the pineapple then? The one that's the there's a the is swipe? it pie? Is it pie? No, no, pineapple swipe. No, there's a pineapple is vodka. it vodka? I'm not familiar with it, but they Maybe, are doing is it. Is it PAI? What's that company? I think it's pot. No, I'll look, I'll, I'll okay. find it, I'll send it to you. I swear there is like a Help pineapple vodka. I'll be ready. I need it. I need it. Um, these basic six solutions are combined into one solution um, that you simply, I mean, the cool thing is, you see how I got like the little measuring thing here? Mm -hmm. So you just basically fill this thing up and uh, that right there, is you one? add to five gallons of water. Okay. Right in the water. Do that to all of these solutions. How many of those per, per thing? You just do one of these per five gallons. So you take a five gallon bucket. You fill it up with water, you put that, each one of them in the bucket, you mix it up, you water the uru, done. Okay, so the, the five-gallon bucket is just, you put all of them in one. So you don't do five you, separate you, gallons. You could, do, five separate. you could do, you could totally do that, but fed together, it's kind of like a plate lunch. If I only had rice on the plate lunch, you'd be like, you know, if, if I only give you taro to eat, I mean, oh my God, if I only give you fish to eat. If I top it all off with some alcohol at the end, like, <laughs> right? And that's really what you want your microbes to do. You want them to get all this food and then be like, yeah, you. So how often are you supposed to do this? Well, if you, if you want to, you know, talk philosophy, what the master says is every time you're hungry, feed your plants. Every time you're thirsty. So you would be like that much water, well, here's uh, the thing. five gallons, like right? three times a day? If, if I was going to feed my ulu tree, right, maybe, and actually when you think about it, if your ulu tree is big, it would totally love five gallons of this three times a day, mm -hmm. right? The reality is that for my, for my, what I do is I kind of just pay attention. You ever seen your plant? It's like, feed me, Christina, <sighs> right? That's when your plant is like giving you the eyeball to eyeball, like, yo, what's up? Like, that's obviously a perfect time to feed your plant. Now, part of sustainability is building those practices, yeah? So feeding at sunset and sunrise are when the microbes are most active because of the atmosphere, right? UV kills microbes. So when the UV is off, there's more microbes. Hey, it's when you kind of want to proliferate them. Being in the environment during those times is actually super healthy for you. Okay. Ironically. So part of this is to kind of help people change their lifestyle practices to be a little bit more one with the things that they're growing. Um, you could simply put it in a bucket and root drench it. Or are you part Chinese? No, I'm half Japanese. Okay. Well, my wife is part Chinese. Okay. Literally, she's related to the Changs. Okay. Um, and the way that you would be able to multiply this is actually in a sprayer. Mm -hmm. Imagine five gallons would only go one area or one tree if you actually put it in a sprayer and you sprayed it on the plants. How far would five gallons go? And so, and so it doesn't necessarily have to get into the root system if you're putting it on the plants themselves. You spray under the leaves of the plants. Oh, okay. And in that case, you could spray under the leaves of the plants three times a day. No problem. You'd never only overfeed your plant. Your plant can only eat as much as it can eat. 
And when used properly in the solution of a thousand to one, it's actually somewhere around 14 parts per million. Okay. So that basically means there's such a little bit of solution, actual solution in it that, you know, it's like, I can give you a, a whole buffet. Which is what you're, you're doing. You're only, well, but I'm saying like, if you went to a buffet, it's like, you're not going to eat the whole buffet line. You're going to have a plate and you're going to fill it from the buffet line. Mm -hmm. And so kind of like the plants are the same way. You can overfeed your plant. Yeah. So Now, are there certain areas that may need more of some of these solutions or less? Or is it kind of like this is a good mix that would work no matter where you are in Hawaii pretty much? So if you're in the vegetative state, right? And so um, I'm trying to think of what is a good, you know, vegetative is like when the apple tree is growing. Fruiting is when it's going, it's flowering, and then it's fruiting when, when you actually have the apple on it. The solutions are designed to be fed at certain times, like the, the fish and the poi that we talked about earlier, the feed and the living. If you give this to your plant when there's fruit on it, it's so powerful, it'll force your plant to start growing, which will cause the fruit to be bad. Mm. Yeah, the living is so powerful. This is the one that you put that much solution and you spray it where your brother was cleaning the fish. No more flies. This one is so powerful. You can put it on your papaya tree tonight and tomorrow the papayas taste bland. Wow. You take these two solutions. So these, these are really, this is the vegetative solutions. And these Which are the is feed, living, and abundance. And the yep. flowering. The flowering is basically fermented fruit juices and flowers. Grow the balance in the water. Salt water and the, and the vodka tincture. And the vodka actually is supposed to go with every, every, every time you use it, you want to use this. A little bit of this. These two particularly, you don't want to use in flowering. But you can actually feed everything in the vegetative state. Mm, so okay. if you're doing your leafy greens, you could feed your leafy greens all of this. Your kale, your lettuce, tomatoes. Once it starts getting a tomato, back off. You back off on the on the living and the feed. Cool. I will definitely have to learn more, but um. AlohaOrganic.org yes. gets all the information. There's all the science, how we made it. If you want to go beyond this and make your own. So degree. how much does this stuff cost? Uh, this lay, if you were to buy all six solutions online, I think it's around $70. And how long does it last? This would last general. 24 gallons. So in a spray bottle, that is a heck of a lot of spraying. Uh, if you were to all just put them into five-gallon buckets and, and feed the roots directly, you're going to get about five five-gallon buckets. Okay. Wow. So it's a... I would never know to do this. This is why, like, I don't have a green thumb because I don't know the science behind growing. <laughs> so it's like everything point, else, right? At some point, you didn't know how to sell a house. Right. But yeah. now you're like a super awesome kung fu master of house sales. So <laughs> just like when you first came in, um, it's just repetition and practice. And right in this in this thing of sustainability. If we all knew how to do it, then we'd be sustainable. We wouldn't even be having this conversation. Yeah, this so, you know, the, the steps to sustainability may start with a few sprays of some organic ingredients. Yes. And this is definitely, well, right now, during COVID, I feel a lot of people, and I think we talked about this in the last podcast, um, 
with Mulama Aina. And it's basically that a lot of people are starting to move into um, new hobbies. And I think community gardens and growing your own food or trying your own garden in your own backyard is definitely something you're looking into. You probably have done it for the past few months and thought like, holy cow, this is way harder and I spent so much money and you now have slugs and snails eating up your veggies. This happened to me like 10 years ago when I tried to do this. But if you have these products, I would imagine that it would just exponentially. Definitely <laughs> yeah. increases your success. I get yeah. a lot of people that go, Daniel, how do I make my yard grow? And I go, well, what are you feeding it? They go, huh? Water? Huh? <laughs> I just sunshine, like clouds? <laughs> so yes, um, you got to check out their stuff. And um, if we didn't give a good enough explanation, you can learn and read about every single one of these um, online. And then I'll also have some pictures probably when I'm posting his podcast. Um, we'll have a little bit more information. And in our podcast, we'll have the um, Instagram handles and websites and all this information on how to reach Daniel if you need to. Um, he is a busy guy, but he also will reach out to you if you reach out to him. So um, without further ado, we are past our hour marker. This guy, I could probably have him on and talk about a whole nother slew of topics. She actually <laughs> told me not to talk about those topics. Um, I'm going to leave you with the last, the hot topic of my life. I've been doing cultural safe, cultural experiences for visitors. I know I'm really, no, we don't want visitors. Um, what we want is we want visitors the right way. Yes, and you yeah. know what? If you go to different countries too that are more conscious of this and they're making like if you like i would say new zealand is a good example that's too. an example um if we we need to bring it back dial it back down to that i would say to the level where um maybe we have people that stay longer that support the community um you know that those kinds of things for oh, sure i just want to plant the seed that right now is the time for the small outfit yeah, the, the mom and pop visitor business to, to really be created and take a foothold. People, um, the reality is part of our COVID safe culture experience is we only have one or two customers a day, right? You're limiting your exposure. Tourism in Hawaii has been built off of this flock mentality where we get 30,000 people a day to go through. And, and I think we're all really understanding that um, that is not the clearest way forward. So I just want to just encourage all your listeners out there that um, sustainability starts with new innovation, new ideas, taking risks. Uh, if you're not taking risks and you're not pushing yourself, then you're probably not that sustainable. Um, and want to just encourage people to look for solutions, yeah, like right at your doorstep. Like if you got to cross the street and go 20 miles to find a solution, then that's probably not the solution for you. Yeah. And, you know, the reality is that one of the things that we need to value more is our neighbors and our friends. This is such a been the COVID has really brought that value together and really emphasized that how much we have. I think the more and more and more that we concentrate on what we have and building what we have, we're going to find that the strengths in our community are actually limitless. But you never know what your neighbor really did and what he loved. Yeah. Uh, and you never really made the, the effort to, to build that bridge. And it's like today, um, one of the greatest values, wealths that I have outside my employee bowl 
is all the people that have eaten from you. Yeah, it's the people for sure, the relationships that you built. So this little COVID safe culture experiences flyer that he has um, in front of us is reminds me of when I went to Europe and um, I don't want to bag on, you know, Airbnb or anything like that, but they had this separate thing called Airbnb experiences. And this gave the opportunity for small businesses to do experiences that are very like outside of the box, um, very similar to what he's done here. It's a custom experience like with a local person yep. that can take you through um, something that you're learning, a practice of that culture, you know, where you're and you're doing it in a way where you're not trampling the, the society that, you know, the culture that you're in and you're being respectful and you're being also toured by a local that, you know, lives in, in this environment, you know, so it's going to be done and you're going to be educated and everything like that. And I probably did about five or six of those kind of experiences. And were they the in. best experiences? And they traveling? were, and, and by far, and the pricing, it's like, there's not all these middlemen trying to sell you, you know, a whole bunch of stuff where they make the money off of the trip that somebody else, you know, it's like, it's directly to yeah, that Yeah, you have person. to go to a timeshare meeting to go on the <laughs> cultural experience. It's probably not the right cultural experience. <laughs> but what I mean is it was definitely something that I was like, I supported. And then you also built a friendship with that tour guide because that tour guide was that local there. And these people, like you, you know, you end up becoming friends with them and you ha you exchange information. And of course, a lot of these people in different countries, if they come to Hawaii, they probably would hit you up, you know, and you got to, you know, return the favor. And then I'm going to be like, hey, you got to try this half day, full day experience with Daniel. <laughs> so anyways, um, thank you so much. We're way over time. This is probably the longest podcast I had. Hope it was entertaining enough for you and you did shut it off till now but anyhow thanks again and um just wanted to say to also subscribe to our podcast if this is your first one at www.smartlivinghi.org you could also go to any platform and listen to all of our podcasts by going to smart living hawaii or our instagram is at smart underscore living underscore hawaii and like us on facebook so mahalo until next time, live smart. Mahalo, aloha.